On today's show, the Cavs went into Philly. They came back almost, but a dreadful first half really, really did them in. We're going to break down this game in full and the fallout from it on a new episode of Locked on Cavs. You are Locked on Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com backslash Locked On today to get started. I'm Chris Manning. I cover the Cavs and the NBA for places like Diamond Up Rocks, Espinations Fear the Sword, and the Just Basketball Show. That man over there who looks like he's confused at a grocery store to me for some reason is Evan Damerell, the proprietor of Right Down Euclid. You can find him on Twitter and all social media platforms at and not Evan. Evan. Not a not an on? inaccurate way to describe me right now. Um, your head was just, turned to like your head was turned to the side and I'm your trying lips to pull a card of Rodriguez and look like I'm looking at you while you're talking. I'm also trying to type out something so I can pull it up as we chat about this game against the uh between rather the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Philadelphia 76ers. But uh yes, I'm, okay. I'm okay. How are you? I you know, I'm I'm just I'm just living. I'm I'm surviving. All right. So the Cavs go into Philly. They lose a game that would have put them third in the East. Uh, they fall 38 and 23 in the season. They lose 118 to 112. They trailed by as many as 28 in this game. They played an utterly dreadful first half. Outscored 38 to 24 in the first quarter, 25 to 14 in the second, and and an 11 point advantage in the fourth. Not was just not enough. So Evan, I, I am of two of two minds in this game on one hand i look at this and say okay you had a really strong second half and i don't think you'll play that bad again in in a first half on most nights Mm -mm. this is your seventh game in 11 nights it's right before the all-star break like i can understand like a little bit of of just the fatigue and, and things not going exactly your way on the other on the other hand I thought the most important player in this game in terms of dictating how it went was Joel Embiid Joel Embiid and his, his presence on both ends of the floor, I thought kind of, I thought Evan Moby looked uncomfortable for a lot of this. Jared Allen really cannot hang in the post on it with him one-on-one. No one really can, but Allen had a really hard time with that. That changes how you're going to play defense. And Bede kind of controlled the paint against a team in the Cavs who really thrive in a lot of ways off of like having control over the center of the floor and around the rim. So I think that's where I start there is like, yes, like you should feel okay about the second half. But the first half was really bad, and Embiid felt like the dominant player in this game. Yeah, you and I talked about this on the preview leading up to this game, that how the Cavs, well, based off availability, whether or not Embiid was going to play, and more than anything, like how the Cavs are going to defend one James Harden, who this is the first time the Cavs have faced Harden in the regular season, because in the first game between these two teams many moons ago, Harden didn't play. But also how they handled um and beat as well, just because they are such a lethal tandem and beat and Harden are. And I think the fact that Harden had seven assists pretty early into the opening frame certainly set the tone for me. And I agree with you. I think Harden set things in motion for the Sixers and then Embiid just kind of consistently took them home. And he's showing again, why he's an MVP caliber candidate and 
why the Cavs kind of had to understand the assignment a little bit. And I, I don't know what his averages are, him as an Embiid, uh, just career-wise against Jared Allen. But like he definitely took Jared Allen's lunch money, lunch, dessert, and everything in between as well, just because he was flat-out dominant in this one. And I know people can complain all they want about the free-throw grifting or how egregious some of the uh, foul calls that the Sixers were able to draw were, but at the end of the day... Um, the Cavs were down big in the first one and they had to climb and claw their way back into this one like they usually do. It, this is going to go hand in hand with my stat of the night uh, soon after we talk about this in the next segment. But this is just another example of the Cavs trying to play themselves out of a hole they dug themselves into. And it's just a case of too little too late. Like, yeah, the energy and effort was there in the second half from them, but it wasn't there in the first and they didn't respond to the massive sucker punch they kind of experience. And then you watch them just scramble for the rest of the game, trying to maintain pace and sure they almost broke through, but it's again, too little too late. If you're a team like Cleveland and you have serious playoff ambitions, you can't keep finding yourself in this hole consistently. So what I, what I come away thinking from this game is a little bit about how this would match up in, in a playoff series. And I think there's a couple things that I would feel better about if I'm Cleveland, just kind of getting another crack at it. I think the second half showed there are things you can do better, and and you will probably just perform better on average than you did in the first half. I think having Ricky Rubio would be a really big deal. I, I you missed his. I think they really missed his presence. I think having him to go to at times, I think would have been good. I also think in the first half, it felt like everyone panicked a little bit, and I wonder if that goes away. And, your games like there's a couple of things like I thought Mobley just never looked fully comfortable in the first half like only had the two points and, and I thought like even the substitutions were just like a little like searching for answers like going to Lamar Stevens the time Bakersteff did felt very much like let me find it I just like need something to work right now and I'm going to try Lamar and the first possession was Lamar passes up an open three and he got the ball back and drove and it got blocked and it's like this didn't work and it, and it you know it felt like the first half was them just like searching for something. I thought Garland was maybe the most consistent guy the entire game, but they got down early and then it felt like they were scrambling, scrambling, scrambling and whatever, whatever change coming out of the break, you know, what, what kind of adjustments were made, if just settling down, whatever it is, you know, we're not in Philly. We're not there hearing kind of what they say about this post game. I'll be curious to, to read the quotes. I, I was, that to me was just like, okay, like this feels like a group that is still young and going through some of this the first time and maybe trying to figure stuff out. And I just kind of, I am both like, I think there are things in this game that would absolutely freak me out if I'm Cleveland about how you approach this in a seven game series. But there's also parts of this where I think you will probably manage it better over, over a different stretch of time with, with your whole selection of players. Is that like an, I feel like I'm like being a coward, like sitting on the fence, no, but like, I, I just don't find myself like getting really worked up and I don't find myself being like writing this off either. I find myself like squarely kind of in the middle, which is maybe the very most Chris Manning thing that has ever happened in me talking about a big game. Manning is actually um, Norwegian for fence sitter, if folks didn't know that. But um, I, I think I you're wish. spot on on just the Cavs kind of looking a little frazzled. It looked like they were shell-shocked, especially just how Philly was just doing whatever they wanted in the first quarter against them. And the statistic I was trying to pull up as I looked confused at a grocery store was the Cavs had seven turnovers and Philly scored 11 points off that. And to your point, they looked a lot more cool, calm, and collected in the second half because the Cavs only scored turned it over once and Philly scored three points off that, whereas Philly turned it over nine times and had 20 
Cleveland had 20 points off of that. So like you could see something there. I agree with you. The lack of Ricky Rubio maybe mean that calming presence just coming off the bench and maybe just unlocking a lot of things for the team just from his six man playing, maybe just getting him and building a rhythm when there's like no Harden or Maxi on the floor to kind of for him to deal with. And also I think maybe the lack of Jetty Osmond hurt this team a little bit too. Like, yeah, we saw some Danny Green minutes. He played about six minutes, 30 seconds in the second half. He played, he, so he played, uh, in total, I had to do the max. I had the halves up. He did, he played about 12 minutes tonight for Cleveland. And I think the lack of Osmond certainly gave um, Green the opportunity to play more. And I, I will talk about him probably in the third segment, just touching mm-hmm. on his debut for the Cavs. But like, I agree with you. The Cavs were kind of scrambling to find something that was just functional for them. Like Dean Wade did not have it tonight. He had, he played about less than nine minutes and was oh one from the floor. Lamar Stevens, like you said, played five minutes in this game total, but he gave them a little bit of a spark. But then you saw Danny Green come in and the Cavs tried a funky lineup of uh, Garland, Mitchell, Green, Stevens, Allen, which like to JB Bakerstaff's credit kind of was working for them a little bit. So I think there is some good you can take from this game. There's quite a bit of bad you can take from this game as well. But again, it's just, I'm not going to overreact either like you. I think I'm just going to remain steady Eddie in the fact that this is game 60 or 61 of the regular season for Cleveland. Yes, there's, there's exactly 20 games left in the regular season before we get to, to playoff basketball. So uh, this is just going to be a growing experiences all year long. Like the Cavs need to break through. Like I was doing the math for a story for write down Euclid tomorrow. Like the Cavs total right now have 373 games of playoff experience with 165 of those belonging to Danny Green. So they need to, and then like Kevin Love has 63, Robin Lopez has 36, Jenny Austin has 14, just to like give you some idea of who else is soaking up those numbers too. So other than Donovan Mitchell, this cast team needs experience. I think these are learning experiences, of course. And I know we can talk about this a lot. I know it frustrates the players or like they can keep saying like, oh, we can learn from this. We can learn from this. We can learn from this. They need to do something about it. But don't take too much stock out of the fact this is game 61. Um, and the Cavs are still sitting very pretty in the Eastern Conference right now. So it's not a bad place to be in as they head into the All-Star break and kind of recollect, recharge, and get ready for this last like 20-ish game sprint. Yeah, they so a lot to play for. They get Philly again in a month. That that will be in Cleveland. That will be a That'll massive be the game. Tiebreaker game. The tiebreaker, yeah. This this loss means these teams are tied one to one. Winner of that third one gets a tiebreaker, which which maybe matters, maybe doesn't. All right, let's go into the break. Let's come back. Let's think about some game awards. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Fan Duels. Look, look, the midway point of the NBA season is here, and it's the perfect time to download Fan Duel, America's number one sports book, because new customers get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. There you can bet on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. I know one of the most fun ones I see people tweeting about sometimes is like the first bucket of the game, just trying to pick out who's going to get the first one. Maybe the method as well, if you want to throw that into a parlay. And look, FanDuel has a ton of great stuff. They even let you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com backslash locked. That's FanDuel.com backslash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
Evan, who's your MVP? Donovan Mitchell. I think you can make a case for either him or Darius Garland in this one, but Mitchell was very good for the Cavs. I know he was 11 of 24 from the field, but like he put up 33 very important points, had five big assists as well, two steals. Like He was impactful in this one. I think you could tell Philly's defensive strategy was let's try our best to slow down Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell and dare everyone else to beat us because Mobley and Allen can't create on their own and Isaac Okoro is just kind of bleh offensively. Philly played off of Isaac Okoro a lot in this game too, but I think just the Cavs adjusted a little bit and responded to this pressure well, and you saw it from Garland and Mitchell at the end of the day. So it's it's either one of those two, but I'm going to tip my cap to Donovan Mitchell. Mitchell was 8 of 13, 25 points in the second half, got to the line eight times, made seven free throws. That was a very, very big deal. But I'm going to go Darius Garland. I, I felt he was the most consistent player in this game. Uh, you know, he finishes 27. Uh, excuse me, no, sorry. He finishes, we got 27, six assists, just one turnover, three, 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 four, six on the line. That, to me, was the, just the most consistent player. He was, like, actually pretty solid enough in the first half, all things considered, in a way that that Mitchell just kind of never really got into a rhythm for whatever reason. This is a game, Evan, that I kind of want to go back and watch to some degree just because I feel like there's things I'll like maybe like look a little bit differently, at least watch um, you know, some, of the, some of the shots and things as we go through. Okay, so stat of the night. Mine's very simple. There's not a lot to add on to it. Is it. The Cavs in the first half, at least right up until the end, I, didn't, I missed this exactly, but they had an 83.3 offensive rating at one point in the first half. That is, like, so below the standard of, like, an NBA offense. That is, like, that's, like, levels. That's, like, in the level, like, three levels down underneath the ground below, like, what, like, the baseline. You're just, like, trying to be a competent NBA team. When you, It is just so hard when you play the way they did in the first half on offense to, like, win a game, much less win a game against, like, a good NBA team. This isn't, like, coming back and beating the Bulls like they did over the weekend. This is coming back to beat a team. The Bulls, who just blew another big game, by the way, against the Patriots. I don't know if you saw how that happened, but like I was watching the win prob, I saw the win probability chart of that game, and they were up by 24, and it was like up here, and then it just slowly, slowly cratered into the ground. The Bulls are bad; they should just blow it up. Um, but it's really hard to beat a, any team, much less a really good team like Philly, when your offense is just absolutely garbage for the half. But Evan, what's your stat? My stat of the night is Cleveland was down 27 in the third quarter at one point, and they chipped away to at least make it a six-point deficit and a six-point loss at the end of the day. And we didn't even talk about it in the first segment. I'm still confused. I think people are pointing out to me because I had my TV on mute while watching the game just because play-by-play can sometimes irk me a little bit. Um, That Evan Mobley fouled Jared Allen in the closing moment. Or sorry, not Jared Allen, James Harden in the closing moments of the game. And apparently Bickerstaff was signaling for them the trap when Mobley interpreted that as a foul. But... Regardless, um, Cleveland showed a little bit of scrap. They showed a little bit of heart. Like you said, they were a lot better in the second half. I think Donovan Mitchell being a big part of that as well, and maybe letting Darius Garland to the table helps a lot too. But it's just a case of too little too late. Like You can't afford to come out so flat on the road like you consistently do if you're Cleveland. And more than anything, just not show up to start games because then you have to kind of just expend all this energy trying to climb back into it. And then you see boneheaded fouls like Mobley had down the stretch. What is your play of the night? Uh, it's a simple one. Uh, Isaac Okoro had a really nice block on James Harden in the fourth quarter, and it felt like it was a little bit of a catalyst to kind of lead to the Cavs 
getting really back into this game. I believe the deficit was cut all the way down to like four at one point. And I think it does coincide with just defense leading the offense for Cleveland. And they had to find some type of spark somewhere. And it, it was simple enough. It's just Accord didn't have a great game otherwise, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But like that block on Harden was pretty good. He did play some solid defense on Harden down the stretch of times, too. I, I will say the other thing about this game that that I think maybe I, I brushed by a little bit faster than I should that felt like a big deal was that James Harden, I thought, played really well. Um, And in particular, I felt as if... I felt as if he gave Evan Mobley some problems on switches in a way that I ha- I've seen very few guards. Like, he just looked physical. He looked explosive. Like, the hamstring looks good. Maybe... I, I, again, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to hold in the playoffs or if he gets hurt again. And, like, the track record is, is what it is with, with Harden. But he looked really good in this game, and that's like a oh, that's yeah. like a really just a really really hard thing to deal with. Um, so I got two plays. One is kind of cheat. The I want to point out that uh, Ben Cock, front of the program, tweeted uh, some pointing out that, and I did I just like not put this together in my head for some reason. But in a game the Cavs lost by six, you had two sequences, uh, one by Darius Garland and one by Evan Mobley, where they had uh, zero for two throw trips. That's just killer. Like make your yeah, free throws, especially bad. Garland. Uh, and the other one would just be Danny Green's first three because that was just like a that was just like hey what are the shots Danny Green is going to get with the Cleveland Cavaliers? It's a play where Donovan Mitchell gets into lane, he makes a pass to the corner, and who's the waiting there on the wing for the extra pass? Oh, it's Danny Green who's probably just going to yeah. shoot the open three, and you feel pretty good about him making it. That just was like ah, they're down by a lot, nothing worked, but like Danny Green's first bucket this tenure with the Cavs just like it made a lot of sense to me. And like, honestly, like the rest of this game had a lot of just like, like the best plays were like Embiid doing like monster stuff. Yeah. Joel Embiid hitting that fader. Um, to kind of so... like, Dude, so what do you good. do? Like that was, that was pretty good defense by Jared Allen on that play. And like, what can you do in that situation? Like you just throw up your hands and say, okay, that's an MVP candidate right there. Like that's a lowercase God on the other Would side you go of the court that we're facing. Him or Jokic for MVP right now. Jokic, just because the Nuggets are the best team in the league, in my opinion. Just at this juncture, I, they're the best team in the league. I think I go Jokic as well, but like, it's like really hard. To it's look really at and close. And be like, and especially in like a guard slash forge of the league, it's kind of wild to see like two big men are just by and far the best players in the league. <laughs> but while <sighs> we have time, quick shout out to Dean Wade for having two blocks and forcing two jump balls on both possessions. He didn't play much, but he certainly had two very interesting moments in the first half. I don't even know like what the right answer. Like one of the things that if I'm JB Bickerstaff, really keeping me up for the playoffs is tr- trying to figure out a coherent way to defend Joel Embiid without like not compromising your defense. I think it's opening up your depth chart a little bit and maybe throwing Robin, Robin Lopez. Lopez. Yeah, just throwing Robin Lopez out there and just fouling, either fouling the heck out of Joel Embiid or playing super physically with him and not letting your bigs get in foul trouble um, down the stretch. So, like, that's the only thing because, like, this is a Cavs team that's predicated on playing big. I think you need to sacrifice uh, Robin Lopez to the Wolves in this one in order to maybe squeak out a game on the road like this. Maybe it's, you know, Mamba D.D. Kite gave you some good minutes when he beat well, Philly. He's not playoff eligible. I know. I know. He's on a two-week track. Let me get let me get some jokes off for the Cavs Twitter sickos, Evan. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. Who are, um, like, like, probably wondering about Dylan Windler's status, and I'm just like, look, 
played for the charge and they lost to the South. He played Bay. less than six minutes and had three points on one of four shooting off the bench for the charge tonight. Brutal. All right, we're done talking about Dylan Windler. Uh, we'll be back after this break, talk a little bit about Danny Green. There's your Dylan Windler update, everyone. There's your Dylan, Dylan Windler 10 seconds. We need like Jake, uh, Jake, if when you're listening to this, if you can think of like a uh, buzzer for us in the future when we have like a Dylan Windler minute, if you could insert that into future episodes, I, w- I would really appreciate that. But after the break, we'll talk about the East. We'll talk about Danny Green right after this. All right, last segment, Lockdown Cavs. So, Evan, let's just let's do a couple minutes on Danny Green. Uh, sure. Not, not a ton of minutes. Kind of felt like no. they put him in at a point where they just were looking for some competency, looking for some stability. It was like, mm-hmm. if I had to pick a way for him to make his debut playing for J.B. Bickerstaff, that felt very right to me. If J.B.'s like, give, give me Danny. Give me Danny yeah. Green. Get him out here. Um, <laughs> you know, that felt right to me. 11 minutes, uh, just under 12. One of four from the floor. One of three from three. Had a rebound. Mm-hmm. Had a steal. Three points total. What, what did you make of Danny Green? And and just how, how do you feel like he looked? I mean, you highlighted his like blown offensive highlight, which was a catch and shoot three pointer. And that's exactly what you want from Danny Green. Cause like, sure, there was a possession where James Harden blew past him in the first half, but like there was times where you're like, okay, you can see the vision of him still being a somewhat competent defensive wing. Like he just provides you length, he provides you size. And I think the shooting more than anything, like he is. A low maintenance wing. Uh, he is your fifth banana when you have him out there on offense. And like you saw the defense collapsing on um I believe Allen on the possession where Green made the three pointer, but then like they also rotated to cover Mitchell and Mitchell smartly made the pass to Green, who was uh, wide open and he Mitchell, made it. Mitchell Mitchell drove in, Allen's in the paint, mm. Garland's in the corner. That's it. And okay. Gar- Garland makes the pass. Either way, the Cavs read the defense very well, and Danny Green being a good three point shooter that he is took advantage of that now i need to see more of it obviously like you had mentioned uh previewing this game like he had played a couple games for the grizzlies before this but like it's not a big enough body of work just to say like okay this is what the Cavs should expect from data green but like the return the return we'll just say was somewhat promising but i don't expect a ton of stuff i think maybe more so like people can roll their eyes five 10 15 games and the guys don't have a lot of games left into this like maybe we'll have a clear idea of like how he is penciled into the rotation when this team is quote-unquote fully healthy as well and we'll just kind of see where it goes from there but yeah he was an answer jb victor staff kind of needed and he gave them a bit of a spark on both ends of the floor and like that's exactly what you need from a dude who's in his late 30s and Still coming off the lingering embers of an ACL tear. Plus, it was, it was, I don't know, it was cool to see the Philly fans give him a standing O when he checked in as well. Yeah, it was cool to see him in like, uh, he right at the half, they had the camera saw on him and he went and like dapped up Rivers, who he obviously played for and probably mm-hmm. has known for a long time. And it was just like, oh, like there's, there's clearly some re- respect, you know, here. Um, he looked a lot like he did in Memphis to me. I, I think it's just, let's see what he looked like after the break. I think it was good to get him some run. It, it the, 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 yeah. For us analyzing this, I think the trick thing is, you know, no Jetty Osmond didn't play. So, like, you don't really get, like, a clear, like... Yeah. And, like, some of the rotations also just, like, felt, like, off to me. And, like, that's oh, also yeah. going to be the case in the playoffs where, like, you're going to be throwing things out there and you're going to be trying to figure stuff out. But, like, the rhythm of the rotations in terms of, like, and with Jetty out and us figuring out, okay, Danny Green is going to play here, it felt like a, it was a little bit more, like... He's just out there, and we're not really learning a ton about that. But that's that's like a very like first world seventh game in eleven days pre All Star break kind of 
reality ultimately. Um, okay, Evan, let's end on and on one last thing here. State of the Eastern Conference. With this loss, as we discussed, the Cavs go into the All Star break fourth in the East. Here's here's the East standings as of right now. Boston is first. The Bucks are second, a game back of Boston. The the Seventy Sixers are third. They are three games back of the Celtics. The Cavs are in fourth. At 38 and 23, they are five games back of first, two games behind third place, four games behind second place. The Nets uh, are in fifth. Their Cavs are two and a half games up on them. The Knicks are in sixth. They're nine and a half games back of first. They are a full four and a half games back. Cleveland, Miami seven, Atlanta eight, Toronto nine, Washington 10. That That is the top 10 of the East right now. Everyone is kind of divided up in a little bit of tears. The Cavs are kind of in this middle. Them and Philly to some degree are kind of in the same kind of bracket right now where they are sort of they are pinched uh between each other the Cavs have also played four more games than Philly which is kind of an interesting little weirdness mm-hmm. but when you look at this in the east right now the season ends today it's Cleveland Brooklyn round one mm-hmm. Cavs could be on the under it would be uh against Boston in round two where the, where, the, where Boston to obviously win and then the Cavs get that what do you just make of of where the Cavs are in the east and what the east standings look like as we as we hit the all-star break I'm I'm encouraged, I think, still just by the fact that Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland look so comfortable with each other out there. I think we're seeing signs of growth from Evan Mobley and more importantly, Isaac Okoro is just like that two-way wing for Cleveland. Um, again, the Danny Green signing is nice just because that gives you like a massive like volume of experience that's just going to make things a lot better for Cleveland, not just now, but in the future as well. But they're 15 games above 500. They need four more wins to clinch a winning record. I think they're in a pretty good spot, all things considered. And the fact that Cleveland has the 25th hardest schedule post-All-Star break and Philly has the hardest schedule post-All-Star break, I think there's going to be more opportunities for the Cavs to gain ground on Philadelphia and maybe leapfrog them for the third seed. And then again, we talk about it like a month from now, they play the Sixers again. Like That game's going to have a lot of weight to it, but... We'll see. These teams could also not finish the same record at the end of the day. But like, if you're the Cavs, yeah, this loss is frustrating in the moment. But like, you look back at everything and what they've accomplished up to this point, they're doing pretty well. And I think it's a different spot compared to last season because this Cavs team now has a target on their back compared to last year when they were kind of taking everyone by surprise. And we'll see how it goes. Like, I don't think they're going to catch Boston or Milwaukee. I think those two no. will separate themselves a little bit more. But I think it's going to be a little bit of a dogfight between three and four. And, like, that's the second tier of, like, the Eastern Conference echelon at the end of the day. Like, we'll see what happens with Brooklyn. Like, Mikhail Bridges had 40 points um, when the cat against the Heat tonight. And after that, like, Brooklyn has a lot of good players, I think. After that, it's just it's a lot of just poo-poo on the platter at that point. Like the Cavs could play a bad team or they could end up playing a team like Brooklyn and struggle a little bit and then have to go face a buzz that's either the Bucks, the Celtics, and the second round. So we'll see how it goes. I still feel pretty confident in saying like they are a second round exit at their floor, and that's probably realistically their ceiling, just with how good the Nets or sorry, not the Nets, the Bucks and the Celtics are right now. I think they're closer to those the top. Then the teams kind of blow them. I think there are some like teams in that right below them that are like. I think the Knicks are legit like going to be annoying to play for whoever gets them in the first round. Like yeah, Miami is Miami. Fair. Like I would I would expect them to be really annoying. Like I think I think you're you're pro- like whether it's the Knicks or whether it's Miami or whoever you get in round one or it ends up being Brooklyn. I think you're going to be in for 
some challenges just to put you through the ringer. And I think that that's good. I think this team is at that the stage where I think they, I, the NBA typically does not work where like first, unless you have LeBron James, like he's kind of the exception to this, unless you have LeBron and even he obviously had to go through ups and downs and go through the ringer and, and take losses on the chin to get to where he got before like learning how to win. Like you go through some of that stuff. And that's like been one of the through lines of a lot of things that they have said. I felt this year, like one of the things they've really harped on in media stuff a lot is like, hey, like, you know, we got you, we're going to, we're learning, we're young, like this is still like a young group. You mentioned the thing about how many, like the disproportionate amount of playoff games that Danny Green has played versus like anyone else on this roster. Like that is a crazy. Well, like two dudes that aren't in the rotation soak up a ton of those, like a hundred games combined of those playoff games. Yeah. And of like your core nucleus, like Mitchell's the one with like real was the only one with like a real deep kind of play of experience, both good and bad. Right. Like he, you know, like he actually got to go to the bubble and uh, the Cavs did not get to get to go to the bubble because they were really stinky that year. Right. Like they were like, it, it, you are not deemed worthy enough to, to come like to to go through the, the waves of the covid pandemic in Orlando. You get to stay home because you're not good enough. That was where that team was at. Mitchell was ahead of that. I'm, I think. I am curious to see how this team continues to level up. I'm, I think the, the playoffs tell us a lot. I think they are closer to the top than not, but I think they, at, at most they're going to be third. They're probably I, would, I could see them ending up fourth. A lot of the models with some of the analytics and things and the schedule gives the Cavs like a better chance than I might of, of having them finish in third. I think it's possible. I think I, how this team grows up this year, it feels to me like, this is the kind of game and this kind of season is like the catalyst for whatever comes next as you're growing up. That to me, what, what this, this kind of feels like was you can still accomplish a lot. You can still win a lot of games, but whatever comes next, I feel like is going to come out of whatever this ends up being. And the East is also yeah. just good. Like you are like, I think no matter who they get in round one, New York, Brooklyn, Miami, like it's not the same as getting like the KD Kyrie nets as that, as yeah. that might've been, or like getting Philly. But I think you're going to be in for like an absolute. You're going to be in for like a tough competitive first round series, and that in itself, well, is like a, I think will be a really good thing for this group ultimately. I mean, as presently constructed, the Brooklyn Nets are kind of made to really pester the heck out of the, the Cavs. Like they can throw a lot of dudes at Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell and just dare Evan Mobley and Jared Allen to beat them by themselves at times. But obviously, we'll see how the rest of the season goes. It's going to be an interesting sprint. I think it's kind of fun that the East is just so hyper-competitive. Maybe if you are on a coaching staff for one of those lower-rung Eastern Conference teams, like if you're the Hawks, you're stressing and sweating this quite a bit. But again, the Cavs were one of three teams that made a power move between them, Atlanta, and Minnesota. And they are sitting pretty comparatively to those two at the end of the day. And I think if you're the Cavs, your focus heading into this all-star break is let Donovan Mitchell and Evan Mobley have fun at Salt Lake City, but get healthy, get right, and shift your focus for this final 20-game stretch because we saw last year, post-all-star break, one, Darius Garland didn't play for a little bit of it just because of the backish stuff, but even when Garland was back, like when the pressure was the tightest, the Cavs couldn't handle it. I'm now morbidly curious to see how do they handle similar type pressure situations because there, there are cracks, there are youth, and inexperienced like moments rearing their ugly head for Cleveland still, but they're also still showing signs of growth and like just maturing as a squad too. And I want to see if they continue to do that with this last 20 or so games. 
Let's end there. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damrell. We will be back on Friday. Uh, topic TBD, but we're at the All-Star break, so we'll talk about maybe some All-Star things. Talk, do some pro, some of the strengths of this Cavs season, things we feel like we learned. I, and next I have week, our topic. We will give our full our thoughts on Shrek, which, you know, the theme song for that movie is All-Star by Smash Mouth. So there's a little coincide with All-Star, All-Star Weekend. We'll talk about how somebody once told me the world was going to roll me. Because, Chris, I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. That's the truth. And you're supposed to, you know, put your finger and your thumb in the shape of an L. Oh, there we go. On your we will forehead. not break it on track. That is only on, uh, on the on the Patreon that, that doesn't exist. But yeah, uh, we ha- we, the Cavs are off till next Thursday. But we are not off. Subscribe, rate, review, please. Five stars only. Evan really needs to get a new copy of Shrek. He's watched it so many times that it's worn <clears> out and... We need that. But until next time, I'm Chris. That's it's Evan. It's a digital well. copy, no less. And I've worn it out. It's unbelievable stuff. Be well. Everybody.